Uh, before we look into God's word, uh, let us pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I pray that the word I preach this morning may be effective and that our hearts may be humbled and that we may too have the, the heart of a servant as Jesus was. I pray this in your son's name. Amen. Boasting, bragging, gloating, showing off to talk big. We all love to do it in one way, shape, or form. We boast about our countries at world sports events. We brag about our cultural heritage. We gloat about our favorite products. Some people with children love to show their kids off. And then there are times when we brag about ourselves. Boasting about things manifests itself in various ways and quantities, and generally speaking, not many people take it very seriously. In fact, the closer one gets to bragging about themselves, unless they've done something extraordinary, the sillier they begin to sound. For example, it might be possible to have some sort of civil debate between two car fanatics about whether Holden or Ford is better, or a discussion between a Greek and a Lebanese person on which country invented baklava, the general banter between Aussies and the English when it comes to cricket is usually in good fun. But when you start to brag about yourself to people and boast about the things that you have done, people generally stop taking you seriously. Now, I'm not talking about when we joke around here. I quite often let people know in jest that I am indeed quite a humble person. I'm talking about when a person genuinely starts to brag about themselves. Today we are going to look at a teaching of Jesus which uses the, the example of a servant at work and the conduct of that servant when they finish their duties. But for someone to be a servant, there needs to be a boss. And this brings me to my first main point. Everyone has a boss. And by that I mean that there is always someone above us and that someone is in control. At work, it doesn't matter whether you are uh, who you are, there is always someone above you, whether that be a manager, a head manager, or even the customer. If you want to get paid for the work you do, then you're going to have to submit to these people, the managers or the customers, so that you can continue to earn that money. But can it be possible to have an entity that is above everyone? one who does not answer to any other, who is not obligated to satisfy anyone? Is there someone that is above the CEO at the place where you work, above the most cantankerous and demanding customer, above your parents, and even above you? Yes, there is, and that is God. God is above everyone and everything because he made everyone and everything. And while that may seem very obvious to a lot of people, knowing this fact is one thing, but actually living it 
is another. Do you truly acknowledge in your heart and in your actions that God is completely above you? How often is it that when everything in life is going just peachy, we praise God and think about just how amazing he really is? But as soon as everything begins to collapse around us, we start wondering and grumbling why everything is going so wrong. Even when we, even when we did all these good works, even when we prayed really deep and meaningful prayers, even when we sang our hearts out at church, and even when we kept asking God for things not to become uncomfortable. All of a sudden, God doesn't seem like that amazing, all-powerful creator of the universe you kept telling people about. Now apparently God has to come up with answers as to why you are in so much pain. Because how dare he do something you don't like? Truly acknowledging that God is above us is very easy when life is comfortable. But when things get tough, it is only then that we are truly tested. And I tell you this, the quicker we remember that God is truly in charge of all, the boss of everything, the easier it becomes to manage the pains of life. And guess what? Unlike your boss at work, or the annoying customers who generally won't be very interested in you at all, God really does want to hear about your life. God is the best boss anyone could ever have because you truly can find solace in him, in telling him your sorrows, and in trusting him in everything that happens in life. Now some of you may be thinking, okay, I believe that God exists and that he's in control of everything. But this Jesus character, do I really have to listen to him? All he did was tell everyone to love one another, right? Wasn't he really just a, a good moral teacher? Is, I mean, is he really that important? And the answer to that is yes, absolutely. To show you why I say that Jesus is really that important, I would like us to read Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, which can be found on page 1184 of the Black Church Bibles. So it's Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. It's on uh, page 1184, where it is written. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So why is Jesus so important? Because here in the Bible, it quite clearly tells us that Jesus is God. Jesus, the Son, is the exact representation of God. 
not an inferior copy or subordinate. So when Jesus walked the earth, he truly was God become man, not a man that made himself God. It is this same Jesus through whom the universe was made and through whom it is also sustained. So then it goes to follow that if Jesus is God, then he is our boss, and we better listen to him and obey his words. So let's go back to Luke chapter 17, and we'll look at uh, verses 7 to 10, uh, which is on page 1037 of the uh, Church Bibles. That's uh, Luke chapter 17, verses 7 to 10, on page 1037. And I'll read it again just to refresh our memories. Suppose one of you had a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Would he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, Come along now, sit down to eat. Would he not rather say, Prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink. After that you may eat and drink. Would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told, should say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. So what is Jesus talking about in this particular teaching of his? Well, to shed a little bit more light on this topic, I think it might be helpful to remember that here Jesus is actually speaking to his disciples. So hence this could be thought of as a teaching that would apply especially to those who call themselves a follower of Jesus today. But why is it important to note that Jesus is speaking to his disciples? This brings me to my second main point. All Christians have duties to perform. If you call yourself a Christian, then you need to remember that there is work to be done and that our duties do not finish with just repenting and believing. That is why it is particularly important to note here that Jesus is not speaking to the general population, but quite specifically to his followers here. In verses 7 and 8 of Jesus' allegory, the servant isn't invited to sit down, relax and eat after finishing only one of the many jobs that needs to be done. Instead, he is told to finish all his work before he can rest. And so it is with us as Christians today. Day in, day out, there are things God would have us do, not because they are optional, but because we are meant to be doing them. This could be giving aid, perhaps with money or with deeds to those who are in need, or pointing each other to Christ, or even taking care of the child God has given you. So is there a time when we can say, we're finished? When we can stop encouraging one another, or helping the needy, or loving our neighbors as ourselves? Well, the fact is, there is no date and time when we can stop fulfilling our duties. God expects us to do our job in whichever way, shape, or form that we can, right up until the day we die. And a perfect example of this is being a husband. 
What does the Bible command husbands to do? Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And that command does not come with an expiration date on it. God has not laid out the term or set a date to be afforded to a man when he can then turn around to his wife afterwards and say, Well, my work here of being your husband is done. I think I'm going to retire from this marriage and take a holiday. A husband must care for, provide for, and continually point his wife to Jesus all the remaining days of his life. And that is what God expects. So what is the next thing Jesus asks in verse 9? He asks, would he, he being the boss, thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? This may not seem like a very profound question at first, but this is something that we as Christians need to think about very deeply. And the main reason for this is that we as sinners are extremely prone to pride. And that is not pride in our work, but pride in ourselves. We have this tendency to start thinking that because we've been memorizing our Bibles and have done such a great job at ticking off the commands God has set set out for us to live by, that God should be thanking us for doing such a magnificent job, especially when it comes to being humble servants. God owes it to us for the work we have done for him, doesn't he? Here Jesus asks the question, is the servant thanked for doing his job? And the answer to that question is no, he or she is not. But why isn't the servant thanked, you may ask? This brings me to my third main point. We are unworthy servants. All this time you've spent loving your neighbor as yourself, obeying your parents, not lying, not stealing, not committing murder, being generous to the needy, weeping with those who weep, obeying your husbands, loving your wives as Christ loved the church, trying your hardest to be at peace with those around you. All this time you've spent doing these things and more amounts to only one thing. You are meant to be doing them. You haven't gone above and beyond for obeying God's laws because you have done the works that you're meant to be doing. But have any of us actually done all our duties as expected of us? Have we loved God the way we really should at times, at all times? Have we actually loved our spouses the way we should? Has any one of us actually been perfectly humble at all times? So if we continually keep failing at doing the things we're supposed to be doing, how can any one of us ever say that we are worthy of God's special attention? Jesus knows that his disciples are not perfect, and he knows just how prone humans are to congratulating themselves over even the smallest of things. And that is why he is giving this teaching to his disciples. J.C. Ryle, a a renowned Bible commentator, when writing about the disciples in this passage, says it this way, However great their faith might be, and however mighty their works, they were not to suppose they have any claim on God or any right to his favor. 
This teaching that we've been looking at today, put forth by Jesus, flies completely in the face of every other religion in the world today. Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, Roman Catholicism, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormonism, and many more, they all have one message in common, and that message is this. You must make yourself worthy to God. And the process of earning God's utmost favor is quite simple. All you have to do is perform the correct ceremonies, make sure you say the correct words while concentrating on the correct things while you pray or meditate, you absolutely must wear the correct clothing at the appointed times, and eat only a specific range of food on particular days of the year, and then also ensure that you strictly adhere to the laws of the religion. And just to make sure those laws are upheld, the religious authorities are going to make up more rules about those laws to absolutely ensure that you, the layperson, are conducting yourself in a manner that would make the list of laws happy with you. Here Jesus simply tells us to remember that when we adhere to the way God wants us to live, when we love our neighbors as ourselves, obey our parents, not commit adultery, help the needy, we're just doing our job. And we should remember that in the end, God does not need us to feel complete, but that we are completely in need of him. So what happens next? If doing good works doesn't earn brownie points with God, if God doesn't become impressed with all the nice things we do, why should we even bother with works of righteousness? Why should we bother doing anything good? I mean, if we're Christians, we're already saved from hell, right? Well, yes. If you truly put your faith in Jesus as your savior, savior, then you are truly saved from judgment. So why is it then that we still have to do good works? The answer is quite simple. Because God expects us to. When you become a Christian, when you solemnly decide to follow Jesus, God expects you to leave your previous sinful ways, to stop lying, to cease gossiping and using filthy language, to walk away from sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend, to put an end to searching out immoral material on the internet. And then God expects us to start living in a manner that is righteously humble. And that means to start putting others before ourselves and remember that we're only doing our job when we do help others around us. Now, all of this may seem like an absolutely impossible thing to achieve, especially if you're a new Christian. How on earth is anyone supposed to turn their whole life around and drop all sinful habits in two minutes? God sets a very high standard. In fact, the standard is so high, it is impossible for us to live to. But here's the best part. God loves you, and he actively wants to help you overcome the sin in your life. And that is another monumental reason why God is the best boss one could ever have. But all of this, all the change in your life, can only ever happen when you come before God and admit that you constantly fail at what you're supposed to do and ask him to give you the heart and strength that you need to do the right thing. But if you are not a Christian listening this morning, 
if you think you can trust in something other than Jesus to save you from the judgment of your life, then my message for you is a warning that you really must heed. Your good works do not and cannot earn you merit with God. The Bible is very clear on this. You cannot make God satisfied with the way you have lived your whole life, no matter what anyone else tells you. And when the time comes for you to finally meet your maker, your whole life will be laid out. And you will be judged for every moment that you have rejected God. And that is the same fate that even we who call ourselves Christians also deserve for our sin, were it not for Jesus. There is only one way that you can truly be at peace with God, and that is to give your sin to Jesus. I'll finish with a reading, a passage from the book of Matthew. It's Matthew chapter 9, verses 10 to 13. You don't have to flip to it. You can if you want to. I'll just read it. This is Matthew chapter 9, verses 10 to 13. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Every one of us is metaphorically sick because of our sins. And it is Jesus who came to heal this problem that we all have. Do not trust in yourself. Trust in Jesus the one who is called God among us, to make things right between you and God. Let us speak with him now. Heavenly Father, I just pray that uh, you break down the, uh, the, uh, the barriers in our hearts and the barriers that we uh, continually set up to uh, reject your word. And I pray that uh, you help us to overcome the, the sin in our lives and to uh, recognize that it is only through Jesus that we can be reconciled to you. And I pray this in your son's name. Amen.